Thank you. So our our reading this evening, uh, we're carrying on in Matthew. Uh, We're in chapter 22, uh, starting at verse 15. Um, And so if you don't have it, uh, if you don't have a Bible or don't have it on your phone, it will be on the screen behind me. So starting at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked him, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand 
until I put my enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's ask for God's help and we'll think a bit more about this passage. Thank you, our Father in heaven, that you have spoken to us through Jesus and help us to learn the lessons from this passage so we might be those who listen to him and respond rightly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was uh, younger, long time ago now, I used to play a game called Tekken 3. Has anyone heard of this game or am I just really old? Oh, Oh, yeah, we've got two at the front, two oldies here at the front. Uh, Tekken 3, uh, it was on the PlayStation 1. I think we're on PlayStation 5 now, would you believe it? And um, the idea of the game is that you have two opponents. Rachel's still very excited about this. Uh, Two opponents, and you um, fight it out, and then uh, the stronger one or the person who knows the special moves would then win. And there used to be this great moment where it would go K.O. And uh, which means knockout, uh, as you uh, beat your opponent. And tonight's passage is a bit like a game of Tekken 3, um, in that we're going to see two opponents, stay with me on this one, two opponents uh, who fight it out. But actually, we see that it's not an equal match. Actually, there's going to be one victor, and uh, it's not the one that people expected. Now, of course, it's not that Jesus gets into a fist fight or starts doing karate kicks with his opponents. Instead, there's a contest using questions. See, um, three questions come to Jesus, three moves, if you like. Uh, The first one is to accuse Jesus of being dangerous. The second question is to kind of show that Jesus is ridiculous. And the third move is to show that Everything's ambiguous. But as we see at the end, Jesus has got one counter move that shows us how we are to rightly respond. So let's look at this first move then on the game of Tekken 3 or Matthew 22. Uh, Christianity is dangerous. See, uh, the first question comes in verse 17. They say to Jesus, Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? or not? Now, it doesn't sound like a very hard question, does it? Uh, I mean, if you went to someone after this service and said, tell me what your views are on the tax rate that should be in the autumn budget, I guess no one is going to get particularly animated about that, are they? But actually, this question was the hot potato question of the day. It was completely loaded. Because the tax they're talking about was a tax put on the Jewish population. Uh, Romans didn't pay it, no one else paid it, but the Jewish people did. And it was a constant reminder that these people were slaves, they were under the Roman authorities. Uh, So much so, there was a guy called Judas, no, not that Judas, another Judas, the Galilean, uh, who in AD 6 led a revolution against this tax And he argued that actually this was something that the Jewish people needed to stand up to to the Romans about. And this is what happened. 
See, Judas, the Galilean, was completely crushed, and now we have another Galilean, Jesus, saying he's a king, coming with a following, and you can see, can't you, if he says, don't pay Caesar's tax, well, he's going to end up like Judas did, but on the other hand, if he says, actually, it's okay to pay Caesar's tax, don't worry about it, well, he's going to isolate all those people who were very fond of Judas and what he did by standing up for the people. Do you see, they're not really asking a question because they're interested in the answer, are they? They're really asking the question, Jesus, who are you loyal to? Are you loyal to Rome or are you loyal to us? And behind that question is a fear that Jesus is on one side or the other. See, many questions uh, are asked today, not because people want the answer, but because they fear that you might be on the opposite side. Questions, um, I'm not going to get anywhere near the topic or what the right answer is, but questions about um, your no transgenderism can end up having people cancelled, blocked on Twitter, uh, put on public display, because some people might think they're a bigot, But if they say another thing, people might think they're not very liberal and not very understanding. And if a Christian's asked about, for example, other religions, if you say one thing, well, it sounds like you're making a sweeping judgment over everyone. But if you say that Jesus is unique, well, you sound like you're intolerant. So what does Jesus do with this kind of special move? He seems trapped, doesn't he, by this question? But Jesus isn't. He does this masterful answer in verse 20. He gets them to bring a coin, and he says, whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Now, there's a lot to this answer, and do ask me about it uh, in the Q&A. But the big thing to see is that Jesus isn't aligning himself with one camp or the other. He says, sure, pay those coins to Caesar. Because in one sense, there's a bigger issue at hand. It's you giving yourself to God. See, quite often people think that Jesus is just one political party or one political uh, idea. But actually, Jesus is saying that he's far bigger than that. And actually, the bigger question is where their hearts are with God. Are they giving themselves to God? There are all sorts of important questions, aren't there, in our world? Uh, Questions about the environment, questions about the economy, questions about how we're going to respond to the pandemic, and they're all important. But actually, we mustn't forget the bigger question, which is where we stand with God. But they have another move in their arsenal, and um, uh, this is, uh, uh, sorry, how do I go back? Thank you. Um, they have another move, and it is to show that Christianity is ridiculous. Now, um, a new character kind of comes into to the fight. Uh, these are called the Sadducees, and we're told that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And you may have heard the old dad joke, um, laugh even if you've heard it, um, why are they called the Sadducees? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection, and so they're sad, you see. It's good, I think it's good, but anyway. 
But they were a group of religious people who didn't, some of you are just getting it now, aren't you? Uh, they're a group of religious people who didn't believe in kind of all the supernatural stuff. They're like, I guess, many people in our society today who believe in God, who would call themselves Christian on a census or a questionnaire, but actually all that kind of weird stuff about life after death and rising from the grave, well, no, that is ridiculous. And they've got a great way, or so they think, of showing how ridiculous this is. They ask him a question in verse 24. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers, and um, rather than read it all out, I've got a diagram here. Uh, so this is a, the, the law. Um, we're not sure if people really carried it out, but the idea was that if this brother died... Um, and uh, they had no children, well, this brother would step in and ensure that uh, there were children. But they say, well, imagine this brother died, and then this brother died, and then this brother died, and this brother died, and this brother died, and this brother died, and this brother died. Well, she's had seven marriages, so when it gets to heaven and the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? I mean, is she going to be married to seven blokes, which is weird, uh, or is she going to be married to none? And you see the point, they're getting to the point that actually this whole idea, Jesus, about the resurrection is a bit ridiculous, and it's meant to stump Jesus. I remember I was having a haircut once and got into a conversation with the barber, and um, he said to me, so you think Jesus is God? And I was like, yeah, and he's like, so Jesus runs the universe? And I was like, yeah, and he sort of said to me, okay, so who was running the universe when Jesus had died on the cross? And I was like, hmm, interesting. And it's that sort of question, isn't it? To, to stump you, you can ask me well about the answer uh, in the Q&A. And Jesus says, it is not ridiculous. Has he say that? Well, he goes straight to Exodus chapter 3. Now, remember Exodus, we did this uh, last term. And he goes to this very famous verse, a verse they knew very well, And he says that God says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, how does that prove the resurrection? Well, notice God says, I am the God of these people. But actually, these people have already died. I um, used to be a cat owner. I had a cat called Moggy, and Moggy sadly died about six, seven years ago. I don't like to talk about it, but... um, uh, it's very, it's very sad. Um, and it'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? Now my cat has died, for me to say, oh yeah, I'm a proud cat owner. You would go, where's your cat? And i go, well, the cat's dead. And you think I'm a bit weird. And you're right to think I'm a bit weird. And there's something of that here in that God says, I'm the God of this dead guy Abraham, dead guy Isaac, dead guy Jacob. And Jesus' point is that for God to say he is their God well, there must be something to come. He hasn't yet delivered his promises, and there must be a resurrection. See, what's the problem with the Sadducees? Well, in verse 29, Jesus says you are in error because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. See, they think God works a bit like a a bigger version of us, a bit like how things work in this world. And if we always think that, well, we'd always think it's ridiculous. 
But God is very different, and He is able to deliver what He promises. There's one last trick, and um, this one's a clever one, because when you read it, you think it doesn't sound that aggressive. Uh, They ask Him a question in verse 36, uh, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And when I was looking at this, I was thinking to myself, what's the big issue here? I mean, it sounds like a fair question, doesn't it? What's the biggest commandment? Sounds like a fair answer. And yet, um, it is part of this whole thing where Jesus is being challenged. So what's the issue here? Well, it turns out that this was the favorite theological question of the day. See, I don't know if you knew this, but different eras have their favorite questions. Do you know, in the medieval era, the biggest question people were asking, I'm sure you've asked it already, is how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Have you ever thought about that? It was an important question in the medieval uh, world. I'm not sure I know the answer. I guess today the big question is, will there be football or rugby in heaven? Football, obviously. But for some people, it's a bit controversial, isn't it? And the big question in their day was this question of the law. There were 613 different laws, and people would often debate, were those laws all equal, or were there different weights to those laws? And this lawyer, you can imagine coming to Jesus thinking, this is a question that no one can answer, we just kick it around, and Jesus will do the same. This is what I call the kind of muddy the water move. This is a a classic tactic of our culture. Not to say that someone's wrong or there's a right answer, but just to say it's all very complicated. No one knows. It's all ambiguous. All it does is kind of kick the can down the road. Often I've got conversations with my friends and you'll know we're onto something because they'll come at me with a kind of question and say, oh, yeah, but there's so many denominations or there's so many Bible translations. And they're fair questions and, you know, we should answer those. But often they're done to just say, oh, it's all very muddy. It's all very complicated. But Jesus' response is very straight, isn't it? He says, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus says, It's clear. Here's what the law hangs on. Love. Love for God, love for neighbor. And interestingly, as you look at where he quotes from, you'll see that these people are not doing that. The the love your neighbor bit comes from a bit where it's describing what people do to their enemies. And Jesus is saying, look, you're asking me about this question. Really, the more important question is whether you're loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, they're the three moves. It's uh, dangerous, it's ridiculous, it's uh, ambiguous. But Jesus comes back with one counter move at the end. See, this final test, Jesus answers, uh, asks them a question. And actually, they must have thought it was the easiest question there is. He asks in verse 42, what do you think about the Christ or the Messiah? Whose son is he? It's like asking kind of... Um, who's the Prince of Wales's mother? It's Queen Elizabeth, in case uh, you were wondering. It's a really easy question. You think, that doesn't seem like a test. But Jesus uses it to show who he is. 
because he quotes from this ancient song, Psalm 110. And in this psalm, David is speaking about someone called the Lord. He speaks about the Lord who speaks to another Lord. And the point is that if the the Messiah Jesus is, is David's son, he wouldn't speak about his son as Lord. I never come home and I never say to my children, oh, what do you want me to do, Lord? I mean, they'd love that, wouldn't they? But that's not what you do. See, Jesus, uh, uh, David recognized that it was someone above him, someone equal with God. And now, Jesus is saying, I am that one. See, if we think Jesus is just another guy with some ideas or another kind of um, religious teacher, well, then we're getting wrong. And we're asked these sort of questions of him, and we might be unmoved by what he says in response. But actually, once we see Jesus is no less than our God, well, it changes our whole approach to him, or at least it should. See, you'll notice that each time they go away silenced. It's the kind of K.O. moment, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't do that to kind of crush them. He does that to point them to the truth. See, he wants them to see that they need to give themselves to God. He wants them to see that the resurrection is true and it is believable. And he wants them to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And in a couple of chapters' time, we see Jesus do exactly that. As he goes to the cross, as he loves the Lord over himself, and as he is raised to life. So it's important to ask questions. We love questions here at St. Mary's. In fact, we're going to have some questions in a moment. But there is a time for questions, and there is a time for believing, isn't there? A time to say, look, Jesus, I trust you. I understand you. I believe you. And as we head out into our world, we can be absolutely confident, can't we, that Jesus is the answer to all our questions and all our searching because he is no less than our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, that Jesus is all wisdom, that he's not phased by any opposition from us. And we pray that we would be those, Father, who ask questions of him rightly, but also, Father, those who come to the truth in response. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Questions have been coming in, thankfully. So thanks for bearing with us there. Um, and really good questions. Better than this morning, actually, I have to say. So <laughs> kudos to you guys for that. Um, I'm going to open with the one with most votes, just because you're all burning to know. But what was the answer, Rob, to your barber's question <laughs> of who's in charge of the universe? Oh, man. I set died? myself up for that, really. Um, <laughs> I think I said something along the lines of, I mean, what I would say now, whether I said it at the time, I can't quite remember, uh, is that Technically speaking, Jesus died according to his human nature. So Jesus is a completely God and completely human. And you might think, how do those two things work? Is it not kind of a mix? Uh, it's not. He is both those things at the same time. And when Jesus died, he died uh, as a human, but that didn't stop him being God. Uh, that was probably what I said. I do remember the, 
barber then getting a bit more aggressive with the razor <laughs> after that and getting a bit more nervous. Did you mention second three at that point? I should have done. I would have <laughs> things down. <laughs> uh, brilliant. No, thank you. So uh, another question of, around denominations. I know you touched on that briefly. Um, people coming to Christianity was really confusing because of the different branches and types of church. So is there a way uh, to understand them in more detail than just purely love thy neighbor? Yeah, really helpful question. I mean, Church of England is the right denomination. That's uh, pretty, sorry, joking, joking, joking. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think where that question's coming from off the back of this, but I guess some of the controversy and some of the fact that Christians come to different views on things. Um, we dealt a little bit about with that when we looked at Romans, remember, um, where we saw that actually some things are disputable, and we live with each other, so different views on baptism, different views on music and church and that type of thing. Um, yeah, denominations aren't really in the Bible. They're not really a thing. And in one sense, um, they're not always needed, but they kind of have emerged over history to kind of preserve the truth. That's when they work at their best. And so you'll know the Church of England emerged out of the Roman Catholic Church because uh, people had felt, well, partly because Henry VIII wanted a divorce, but partly uh, because people felt uh, that the Roman Catholic at that church at that time had gone so far away from the gospel that actually nothing less than uh, dividing off was necessary. Um, so uh, how do we kind of understand all those denominations? Well, I think don't get too hung up on them. The big point is um, if a church is loving Jesus and loving his word, well, that is a faithful church, and what you call it, in one sense, doesn't matter. Uh, but I guess that would be what I can say mm. on that at the moment. And St. Mary's is kind of wonderful in, in that it's, it's, it's a great, it's kind of multi-denominational, isn't it? It's like yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. Of it's got, yeah, it's, it's a, bit, a bit more of a melting pot, so yeah, yeah. that's one of the things, yeah, I love about St. Mary's anyway. Yeah, don't get hung up on denominations, get hung up on Jesus, but yeah. yeah. Brilliant, thank you. Um, Okay, so then somebody's asked, how do we deal with accusations that organized religion is dangerous or harmful, and particularly in light of, of church history, while we're on the subject of church history, which kind of is the, the first thing the Pharisees were directing at Jesus a little bit, wasn't it? The Christianity is dangerous. Well, in one sense, it is. I mean, here we've got organized religion um, asking questions of Jesus, and this organized religion will crucify Jesus in a couple of chapters' time. Um, yeah, organized religion um, can do some really disastrous and really dangerous things, and we shouldn't shy away from that. Um, we need to recognize that. I think we need to ask questions about what has truly happened in uh, history, but um, I'm not going to say that the church has got everything right. But Jesus is different to organize religion. See, organized religion here is about kind of keeping the status quo, keeping their positions of power, Jesus is completely different. And I would say Jesus has never been dangerous in the sense of cause harm to people. Uh, Jesus will never harm. Uh, Jesus will never lie. And actually, while the church gets things wrong quite often, and while others come in the name of Jesus and use that to their own ends, actually, if we look at Jesus, we won't find any of those things that we um, rightly bring up from church history. Great. Thanks, Rob. So um, this is a great one. Uh, how do we clear those waters when people ask the 
the, the third kind of muddying the waters questions. What can we do to kind of yeah, make that a bit, a bit clearer for people? Yeah, really helpful. I think it's really helpful to ask, do people... Yeah, I, I often ask people, is, is there something that will change your mind? So they say to you, oh, Christianity is ridiculous. You know, science has disproved it and things. Is, is there something that could change your mind? And if the answer is no to that, well, you know, you might as well not bother, in, in one sense, both of you not bother. Um, but you'll find that some people think, oh, actually, maybe there is an answer, and they start to think about what they need to look for. Um, I think that's a good question to ask. I think also is to realize that people are very clear on certain things. Um, before I was a Christian, I was very passionate about social justice and race issues and class issues, and uh, I was very strong on those things. I was just not very joined up with what I thought about Jesus. And so helping people to see that the things they're clear about, actually, well, if we say you can be clear about something over here, well, actually, we can be clear about something uh, when it comes to Jesus. Um, That's not to say there aren't things that are difficult to work out. I'm still thinking things through, and each week I'll, you know, slightly bit clear on things, but that's different to say that everything's so muddy that no one can possibly know, because actually Jesus would say, well, there's enough here. Great. Thank you. Have I got time for one more? Can I squeeze one more in? Yeah, get some nods. Um, the time has broken, so we can go on for as long as we want. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, it does feel like that. <laughs> Somebody's saying the evening crowd are always better. Um, okay, there was one here um, I really like the look of. Uh, well, I think it's disappeared. Oh, no, here we are. Yeah, I love this one. We aren't as wise as Jesus, which is obviously very true. So how <laughs> can we uh, deal with these situations when people are trying to tech and two us out of there? Tech and three. Tech and two is rubbish. I it's all about tech and three. Tech-and-two. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes, I forgot the question now. Sorry. So we aren't as wise as bridge. Jesus. Yeah. So how do we try and still do the mic drop without, yeah. Yeah, so really helpful. Um, yeah, we're not trying to be Jesus. We're not as wise as him or anywhere near. Um, that's, that's helpful to recognize. But he is our teacher and he is our leader. And um, there are things we can learn from his methods. Uh, that's not to say we're always going to think as wise as him. We certainly aren't. But actually he is teaching us here how we're to respond to people. And I don't know about you, but I find Jesus' patience here just incredible. I mean, these guys have been opposing him for chapter upon chapter by now. And he's still encouraging them to give their heart to God. Uh, So that's one thing. Um, But also, just seeing Jesus' wisdom in spotting a trap for being a trap. So, um, yeah, I think just, just because someone asks you a question... You don't have to answer it on their terms. So quite often, um, people will ask questions like, I don't know, um, you know uh, hasn't science disproved Christianity? And in that question, there are kind of um, assumed ideas about what science is and what Christianity is. And I think it's worth just, uh, when you get a question like that, of course, if you sort of go one way or the other, you're going to get trapped. But just to say tell me, what do you think science is? And then they might say, well, science is the measure of objects. And, I, and then you, would, you could ask the question, yeah, but what, 
what is, um, how does that disprove Christianity? And I think it's just recognizing that actually we don't need to necessarily, you know, we do want to obviously answer people's questions, but not necessarily. So trying to engage them in conversation, yeah, yeah. using their, their attack almost as an opportunity rather than. Yeah, yeah, and Jesus does that wonderfully and patiently. And it's worth saying as well, Leanne pointed this out this morning very helpfully, that very rarely do we get a question that someone just walks up to us in the street and tell, says, tell me, is the resurrection true or not? You know, that doesn't really happen. Often it's with friends, isn't it, over a long time where you're asking questions back and forth. Uh, but it's helpful, isn't it, to see that actually uh, Jesus takes the time to do that, even with his opponents. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Thank you. It's been Thanks really for your questions. Um,